0: Being said, let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and uh, I appreciate the feedback uh, regarding this series uh, in in the Book of Psalms. And of course, this is in our theme for the year: confidence in the Scriptures. And I, I appreciate uh, many of the the comments that have been uh, made already. And so, uh, this is going to turn into a, a longer series than I originally intended. And uh, it may end up being 22 messages, which is fine with me, because uh, I, I enjoy, I, I really enjoy preaching, and uh, I really enjoy teaching the Bible. And so we may end up taking each stanza of this psalm and going through it stanza by stanza until we have 22 uh, different messages. And so I am more than willing to uh, begin preparing, and that seems to be the way the Lord is leading, and I appreciate the feedback um, from so many And how the Lord is using this series, using His Word in our hearts and lives. So Psalm 119, and we will pick up with the stanza that might be entitled in your Bible. It may have a subtitle or a title there for this stanza by the Hebrew letter Daleth. Again, I'm not sure I am pronouncing this correctly. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the the title or the subtitle for this stanza is the Hebrew letter Daleth. Verses 25 through 32. Appreciate Derek reading verses 25 through 28 earlier. Of course, we have, uh, as one scholar mentioned, we have entitled this psalm, the Mount Everest of the Bible. And we see that stanza, again, for uh, repetition's sake, this stanza, verses 25 through 32, every line of this stanza. So the first word of every line of this stanza, of this, what we would think of as a paragraph would begin with the Hebrew letter Daleth. So, in the Hebrew poetry, there would be this acronym. Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is represented in each stanza. So, we have 22 stanzas here in Psalm 119. In this particular stanza, each first letter of each line of this stanza will begin with the Hebrew letter Dallas. So we begin by looking at, first of all, in this psalm, that God's word revives our heart. Verse 25 My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. We need the word of God to revive our hearts. When we think about this word revive, We look there in verse 25, and we see the word quicken. So the word quicken means to make alive. We often will use the word revive. That is another biblical word. And can I take just a little bit of a rabbit trail here, all right, for a moment. I like to use the word revive because it is a biblical word. But I think that sometimes the word revive or revival is... Not always defined the best way, or it's taken out of context, or it has an additional meaning that's added to it. So I hesitate sometimes to use the word revival in some context, because when some people hear the word revival, they think of some sort of tongue-speaking, Holy Ghost, emotional type of fit going on, and they consider that revival. And the term revival gets thrown around a lot in religious circles. And I hesitate to call certain things revival. Because when we really understand the biblical term revival, we understand that it is to make alive. It is to cause to come to life again. Implying that there was life there already. And it became... Dead, callous, cold, complacent, and then needed to be breathed into to make alive again. So the psalmist here, in using this word quicken, this word quicken is the word that is sometimes translated revive or revival. So what is the psalmist dealing with here? He mentions in verse 25 that his soul cleaves unto the dust. Now, we'll talk again about that word cleave later. It is used again in a different, or it's the same word in the original language, but it is translated stuck in verse 31. So in verse 25, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. He is saying that his soul is stuck, clings to the dust. So the psalmist is going through something that is weighing him down, is causing a great burden. And the word dust is symbolic of sorrow, of suffering, can even be translated in a context that refers to temporariness, and it speaks of humility. We could go back to Psalm 22, Psalm 22 in verse number 15, where we see the psalmist Referring to this in verse, 20, verse 15 of Psalm 22. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now, there have probably been times for all of us where we have felt like the burdens of life, the pressure and the stresses of life have pushed us down to the dust to the dirt. now i was a scrawny little kid i'm still not a big broad-shouldered kind of guy i'm just not uh, some guys they could work out and they just they buffed up into i've never been a big weightlifting kind of person but it didn't seem to matter when i would do any kind of weightlifting i just didn't get i just didn't get big strong broad shoulders i just didn't So, at camp and at youth activities, there is a favorite game called Big Ball Volleyball. And if you've ever played Big Ball Volleyball, the big, broad-shouldered, tall dudes, they would get there in front or in the group, and they would be pushing that ball back and forth across the volleyball net. So, if you don't know what Big Ball Volleyball is, it's basically a giant beach ball, a lot heavier... (laughs) But it's a giant beach ball that's played like volleyball. And you have big groups of teenagers on both sides of the net pushing this ball back and forth. Big camp game, a lot of youth rallies. Can I just admit that I did not like big ball volleyball? (laughs) I was that little kid who I always felt like I was the one who got barely the tippy tops of my fingers because there were always these big guys that were stronger and bigger and taller than me who would hit it, and then I would somehow get trampled on. As they went running across or as the ball got out of control, I would get knocked down to the ground. And then we had another game that we played at youth activities called Steal the Bacon. And this has nothing to do with the greasy meat that you fry up in a pan or cook in the oven or microwave, however you do your bacon. This has to do with a whole bunch of rubber, inner tubes, and tires, and all kinds of other objects, balls, placed in the middle of a field. And you get groups of teenagers on both sides of the field, and when their number is called, they run to the center, and they grab whatever they can get their hands on and try to run it back across. And there's all kinds of different rules to try to make it safer. But the bottom line, for little guys like me, I would get to the middle of the field, and I would get pulverized. If I got a hold of one of those inner tubes and I started yanking, it never seemed to fail. I was having some limb of mine torn asunder. (laughs) And it's supposed to be you play the inner tube, not play the player. But the big guys, they didn't obey the rules, the bullies, right? They didn't obey the rules. They played the player. They didn't play the tube or the ball or whatever it was. So I... I, I loved my youth rallies, and and, and I loved those, those youth activities, but those were a couple games that I struggled with because I always seemed to come out with my soul cleaving to the dust. <laughs> I would end up on the ground. I would end up in some dire straits. And we feel like that sometimes in life. We just feel like life beats us down. Stress and pressure and all the difficulties that come, and we just feel like sometimes... It is a no-win situation. And the psalmist must have felt that way. He said, my soul cleaves, it cleaves to, it is stuck in the dirt, he says there in verse 25. And yet, how did he come alive again? How did he find life? How did he receive revival and be quickened? According to thy word. When all the stresses and the pressures and the burdens and the suffering of life afflicts our souls, we must find our reviving, our quickening, our life in the word of God. We see this theme over and over. We see this lesson over and over and over throughout this psalm and throughout the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms often Speaks to our emotions. And our emotions can be very, very deceiving. If we're not careful and we live in a society that is very sensual, that is very feelings focused, feelings oriented. And if I don't feel like it, I don't do it. We are slaves to our feelings. And then we have in religious circles, especially, not just in religious circles, but I see it often in religious circles, that emotion and excitement is somehow always equated with the Holy Spirit. If there's excitement, if there's emotion, well, then it's got to be the Holy Spirit working, right? Well, I think that's dangerous. If we think that excitement and emotion is always equated with the Holy Spirit, then There are certain events that there's a lot of excitement and a lot of emotion, but it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's certainly not Holy Spirit led. No, our emotions are to be the caboose. They're a gift from God, but our emotions are to be informed and aligned with the word of God. Our emotions ultimately must be a response to the truth of the word of God. We talk about the mind, the will, and the emotions. The mind is engaged, the will is engaged, and then the emotions follow. But so often, we want to put the emotions up front and be the engine to drive everything else that goes on in life. And then we become very feelings-based, experience-based, instead of truth-based. So we see the psalmist having strong emotions His soul cleaves, clings, is stuck in the dust, in the dirt. He desires to be revived, to be quickened, to be made alive again through the word of God. And it reminds us once again when suffering and sorrow come, even when there is sin that has afflicted us, that has gotten us down, whatever the case may be, we can find the life-giving truth of the Word of God, sufficient in our time of greatest sorrow, in our time of greatest suffering, in our time of greatest need. Oh, what a joy the Word of God is to quicken our souls, to revive our souls, to bring back to life again, for us to see the truth and the realities of Scripture and revealing who God is and reminding us that He is in control. And we see here in verse number 26, we see the psalmist saying, I have declared my ways and thou heardest me, teach me thy statutes. We go from verse 25 to verse 26, where we see God's word instructs our life. Verse 25, God's word revives our heart. In verse 26, God's word instructs, our life i have declared my ways and thou heardest me teach me thy statutes we declare our ways some of us are more declarative about our ways than others some people i like to kick them in the seat of the pants i like to get them going cuz they don't have any drive any determination any passion uh, I'm a very competitive person, and I have to watch myself because I can get very competitive in especially certain sports, but in a lot of things. And I'm a very passionate person. Um, I'm a very driven person in some ways, and it can get me in trouble, and I can get too carried away. But there are some people, especially When it comes to our own children or when it comes to people that we're working with and young people maybe and people who we are working with at our jobs who don't seem to have any kind of work ethic, it gets really aggravating, doesn't it? When they won't pick up and do their part and they are always looking for a way to get out of work and you just want to take them by the neck or kick them in the pants and Get them going, get some drive, get some determination, get some work ethic here. Well, there are some of us, we declare our ways. We know what we want to do, where we're going to go, when we're going to do it. We're we're, we're raring to go. And I sense in the psalmist, in verse 26, some of that. I declare my ways. But what does he say? I have my ideas, I have my ways, I have the things that I want to do. Thou heardest me... And then he submits all of that to the Lord. Teach me thy statutes. That word statutes has to do with, yes, God's law, God's commandments, of course, the word of God. But the word statutes even implies prescriptions. We go to the pharmacy and we get a prescription. The doctor has ordered a certain medicine to meet a specific need for our health. Can I use this in a, in, a, in, a, in a proper way as an illustration that God writes the prescription, writes the order for the specific need that we have for our spiritual health? And that means we submit. Now, many of us don't like medicine. Some of some of us don't even like to take a Tylenol or an ibuprofen or any kind of prescription medicine. And there are some people they they have 45, 50 pills that they take. It seems like on a on a daily basis due to whatever health issues. Um, there are some people who avoid uh, medicine uh, almost to their own their own jeopardy <laughs> sometimes. But the point is, we understand the 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 need for medicine in in a, in a prescription. In a pharmacy uh, kind of uh, setting, the doctor sees that there's a particular need for this medicine. So we submit, hopefully, to the doctor, and we may find some other homeopathic or alternative way, and, and that person still is prescribing something. They're saying, this is the method, this is the way for your body to get well. It needs this. So the psalmist declares his ways. I know what I want to do. I have my agenda. I have my blueprint for my life. But as I have declared my ways, Lord, teach me. Prescribe for my life what it is that you know is best for me and may I submit to it. And that sometimes is hard, isn't it? Because we get our ideas, we get our things in our minds, and we say, God, I am going to, and I have this, and we have the whole blueprint for our life. And I'll tell young people many times, because I've been there and I've done that, but I've told young people many times, especially in our consumer culture, we have a website and we can order any kind of items that we want. And we have the whole list, we put it in our shopping cart. And we get the sale items and we get the coupons and we get it all ordered and we have it in the shopping cart and we click two day delivery or later day service like at Payless. less. We got into the habit of ordering our groceries online during covid and we would just go over to Kroger and pick them up. They'd walk our groceries out to us. And I was like, yes, because I do not like grocery shopping, but. We do have to do it, and it's so nice to be able to just do the online order and then just pull up into a parking spot and somebody brings it out. And we think sometimes that's the way it ought to be in life. Okay, God, I want this. I want this kind of woman to be my wife. I want this kind of man to be my husband. I want this and this and this and this, and I just put it all into my big shopping cart, and I get my sales, and I get my coupons, and I click, and I get same-day delivery or two-day shipping, And we think that's the way God ought to serve us. And we get so out of sorts with the Lord because we think we know what's best for our life. And we see the psalmist here saying, yes, I've declared my ways, but Lord, teach me. Teach me thy statutes. Prescribe for me what it is that you want that is best for me. And help me to submit to your will. To accept your will, to trust your will, and to live that will of God out. And we'll find that it is perfect and that it is acceptable, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us. So we need God's answers. And we need to understand God's ways, or God's way. We need to understand God's way. Verse 27, make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. We need the doctrine of the Word of God. We need to take time to go through the theological principles and the doctrines and sing those truths. We sang some great doctrinal songs today. Songs that would probably do us good to go back and open up our hymn books this week and our devotions and read back through some of those great doctrinal truths that we sang today. But we need to be under the teaching and the preaching of God's Word that we might receive the doctrinal teaching of the word of God. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. In turn, then, that results in us talking of God's wondrous works. But in understanding God's way, we're not only talking about doctrine, but we're also understanding suffering in terms of God's providence. We're understanding repentance in terms of God's chastening. We are recognizing God's will and we are trusting God for His wisdom in understanding the way of thy precepts. We are listening to God's word and receiving wisdom from the Lord. You know, in in, in a lot of false religions, in a lot of false religions, there is some guru who sits in some temple or on some mountain. And you know how it is. They sit Indian style. And they maybe have some funny looking hat on. And maybe they have a certain kind of beard. Or they have some sort of hairstyle. And they're the guru. They're the, 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 the person of wisdom. And you go to that person. And you have to go through certain kinds of rituals. And then that person will give a lot of gobbledygook, a lot of things that they'll say that are sounding so erudite and so smart, but it's really just a bunch of nothing. And I use the illustration all the time, but you can go down to Barnes & Noble. We were just in there the other day, and you can go to the religious section in Barnes & Noble, and I wouldn't even give you a penny For probably 90% of what's on the shelves in the religious section. It's a bunch of nonsense. But what is the wisdom of God? What does the wisdom of God look like? Truth. Reality. Speaks to the very design that God has ordered for our lives and for this world and for us to live within the world that he created. Moral laws. Right and wrong. Good and evil. Truth and error and understanding the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. God has it all under control and he's revealed what we need to know in his word and gave us the living word in his son, Jesus Christ. And then when we go to the practical wisdom books of the Bible, we go to a book like Proverbs and it's practical wisdom. Basically, the book of Proverbs is what? Don't do stupid things. Right. Listen to smart people. Obey your mom and dad. Don't hang out with fools. If you're simple, would you quit being simple minded and become wise in the things of the Lord? Don't be a scorner and mock those who are in authority over you, who are teaching you the right things. Don't be a fool and go your own way. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We go to the Proverbs of the New Testament. We go to James and we see practical living of the truths of the word of God. That's wisdom. I know that doesn't sound like wisdom according to this wicked world we live in. This wicked world, wisdom comes from a super multi-million dollar athlete who doesn't have a clue about politics, who doesn't have a clue about life other than they get all the spoiled, rotten things of multi-million dollar sports world and someone sticks a microphone in their face after some catastrophe or some political ruling or some policy or some agenda or whatever is in the news and they stick a microphone in front of that superstar athlete and then... That is considered wisdom? Really? And many of them are wicked and immoral, and they're going to tell us how to live our lives just because they can dunk a basketball or hit a home run? Unbelievable, the sources that people will go to for wisdom. And it's not a source of wisdom. It's a source of sewage, many times, of wickedness. We need The source of wisdom that is God's word. We need to, like the psalmist, say, Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. As we go to the right source for wisdom, in turn, God gives us opportunities to share that wisdom with others. I know I'm getting old. Some people say, Oh, you're still very young. Thank you. But I know I'm getting old. And as I'm getting older, I'm finding that I have to share my knowledge and my experiences more and more. I was doing some premarital counseling on Monday. I mentioned this Wednesday night. I was doing some premarital counseling this past Monday. And I am sharing experiences from my own marriage. I'm sharing experiences and knowledge and I'm sharing the word of God and I'm giving some practical tips to this individual, to the, these individuals who, uh, Lord willing, I'll, I'll marry uh, in July, I'll officiate their wedding in July. And I've, I've taught the, the young man, uh, I was his principal, I was his teacher for many years, but I'm giving them, really, it's not my wisdom. I'm just taking the experiences that God has allowed me to have and I'm applying the truth of the word of God and saying, here's how you need to have God first in your in your marriage and God will bless your marriage. I'm trying to help them apply the wisdom of God's word to a marriage that is now countercultural. Never thought I'd say that 25 years ago that a man and a woman who are pure now getting married is considered countercultural. Because young people today are not even getting married. Young people today, if they're getting married, it's later in life. And then children are very, very optional. So as we're going through our premarital counseling session, I start to talk about principles of communication. And one of the things they have to communicate about is children. I say the fact that you're getting married as a man and a woman at your age, that's countercultural. And the fact that you're talking about children is countercultural. Even though America now has dipped below its replacement rate, I think it's 2.1 or 2.2, 2.3 per, or children per family in order to replace, we are losing our replacement rate in our population. We're actually below the replacement rate because people aren't having children now. Unbelievable. We have to keep coming back to the wisdom of God, to the wisdom of God's word. And in turn, we will have opportunity to talk of that wisdom and share that with others. And that's part of our discipleship and our mentoring. And for the older generation to be mentoring and discipling the younger, there is so much wisdom in this room for the, the younger, um, even for me uh, as a very young, 48 years old. Thank you, Earl. So that brings us to verse 28 in God's word instructing our life. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Our strength must come from the Lord. We need a vibrant prayer prayer life, a fervent prayer life. We need a regular Bible study time in our personal life as well as our faithfulness. Under the teaching and the preaching of God's word in our local church, we need the godly counsel, as I just mentioned, of godly people who God has blessed with godly wisdom. We need their counsel. We need a lot more godly counsel from God's people than we do TikTok, if I can just throw that out there. But we see that we need God's strength. Colossians chapter number one, a New Testament passage that speaks to our need for God's strength. You can sense Paul's burden for the church at Colossae in Colossians 1. And notice his prayer, Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. What was Paul praying for, for the church at Colossae? To have God's strength, to be fruitful in the things of the Lord, similar to what the psalmist is saying here in verse 28. And of course, we know Ephesians 6, in verse number 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and we're to put on the whole armor of God. So God's word instructs our life. God's word revives our heart. And then finally we see in this passage that God's word directs our way. I know this is somewhat repetitive or redundant, but yet there are some nuances here that we can uh, glean from these last four verses of this stanza. Verse 29, Remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. We need to focus on the truth. There are so many lies. There is so much dishonesty. There is so much deception. We talk about misinformation. We have just spent three plus years of seeing the failure of those institutions and those in places of leadership who we thought we could trust And it seems like every week there is a new news item that shows how wicked and dishonest and deceptive and just downright liars. Many of those in leadership in our country have been and continue to be. And sadly, many of them continue to be in outright denial of the clear evidence of dishonesty and deception and lies. Does that mean we just throw up our hands and quit and say, God, I'm not going to be able to serve you anymore. I'm not going to be faithful anymore. Why believe the Bible, go to church because all these people are a bunch of corrupt, wicked politicians and leaders? Is that what we're supposed to is that how we're supposed to respond? No, the psalmist says in verses 29 and 30, he says, remove from me the way of lying. Don't let me be caught up into the same sins that I am accusing them of, that they are guilty of. Don't let me be involved in that same kind of way of lying but he says in verse 29 grant me thy law graciously it should be yes a a a rebuke of the of the sin of the land and those in leadership but it all should also should be a reminder of us as sinners how we can be guilty of the same sins And how much we need the Lord, how much we need the law of God to graciously work in our lives. Because if I'm pointing at a politician and saying they're a liar, and then I'm lying in my home to my wife and to my kids and to the people that I know, then am I any better? He's saying, put away from me lying. Grant me thy law. He says, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. We are to stay away from false teaching. Yes, we are in a world today where we are exposed to it. There is some measure as our kids get older and as we have to live and work in this world, there is some measure of exposure that we are getting, especially in this month. As Emily recently got hired on at another place, a part-time A job, a second part time job. We were talking through some of these things with her, and she's well aware. But here we are in a certain month, and a certain uh, type of advertisements and marketing, and certain people that we're working with were to be in the world, but not to be of the world. And so we have to insulate ourselves to the false teaching. We can't isolate ourselves and live in some cave or some monastery somewhere and live some sort of ascetic lifestyle. And somehow that will make us holy. You know, we still have our corrupt, sinful heart, even if we were to live in some cave in some mountain. But we are not to be of the world. We're not to take on its ways of thinking. We're not to get caught up in the errors, in the lies, in the false teaching of this world. We have to insulate, we have to guard, as we just talked about, the armor of God. And we see in verse 31, then, as we focus on the truth, that we cling to it. Again, we're coming back to this word that is used in verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Now, in verse 31, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. We're to cling to the truth. This word stuck, that's also translated cleaveth in verse 25. Literally, it is the word cleave. And as again, as I was doing some premarital counseling on Monday with this young couple, we talked about the leave and cleave principle. A man implying a woman leaves their mother and their father and cleaves. He cleaves unto his wife and implied there that she cleaves unto her husband. Leave and cleave. So we talked about the fact that when they go through their first discussion as a young couple, Okay, their first disagreement as a young couple. Is she supposed to get on the phone with her mom? I can't believe I married this man. I can't believe what he just did and what he just said. Mama, come help me. Is that what she's supposed to do? Is he supposed to get on the phone with his dad and say, Dad, I can't believe this woman I just married and what she just did or what she just said. She just burnt the toast or whatever Is that what they're supposed to do, is to go to their parents and begin complaining? No, they have left. Now, they still honor, they still respect their parents, but they cleave, they join together. They're one flesh, they are now cleaving to one another. They're working through their issues. Yes, they may have to get counsel, but you don't call mom and dad and complain to mom and dad about the spouse. The word cleave here has to do with holding fast to follow close after, to join together. I just used the other use of the word in Genesis 2 and verse 24 where they're to leave their mother and father to cleave unto one another as husband and wife. But Genesis 19 and verse 19, Lot uses this word to talk about as he was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah and he's complaining about where god was sending him he said i don't want to go to that place that you're sending me to because i might be overtaken with the evil there same word okay and then we can go to deuteronomy 10 in verse 20 where it's used to cleave unto the lord so what are what's the psalmist saying i have stuck unto thy testimonies I hold fast unto thy testimonies. I cleave unto thy testimonies. May they overwhelm me. May they completely surround and encompass my life. That's what we have to do. In a world of lies and deceit and misinformation and falsehood, we need to stick to the testimonies of the Lord. Cling to them. Be overwhelmed by them. Have them completely in company or encompass our life. We're to cling to the truth. And then we see in verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. The word run here means to pursue. It means to run after. I joke around about not being a runner. Uh, If I'm going to run, it needs to be with a purpose, not just to run around in circles on a track. Praise the Lord for those people who run around in circles on a track and get timed and win prizes. I find that particularly boring. If I'm going to run, it needs to be to be able to shoot a basketball or to uh, get on base um, something along that line. If I'm going to run, I'm going to chase after our dog in the front yard who's gotten away on their leash, on his leash, and I'm chasing. I'm running with a purpose. I'm running. I'm sure our neighbors were looking out the other day, and they're like, why is that guy running through his front yard? Why is it? Anyway, chasing the dog. <laughs> the dog had gotten loose. Anyway, we have a busy street in the front, and I don't trust that dog to stay away from the street. Um, it's not that smart yet. But anyway, I'm chasing the dog. I'm pursuing after the dog. I'm running. Do we run after the truth? Do we pursue the truth? I I would tend to think that, I mean, I'm a news junkie. I love the news. I have to catch my, I have to discipline myself. I can run after the news. And boy, we have a lot of people who are addicted to a glowing rectangle who can run after a lot of Videos and shorts and TikToks and reels and all the other names that they have for these little videos. And don't we understand, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more in July. I'm working and preparing about a, a series with some of these practical uh, areas. But do we realize that the algorithms in these social media apps are particularly created, invented, to make us addicts? Do we realize that there is an addiction to the screens that is actually part of this AI and these algorithms? Because these social media companies, they know what clicks inside the human brain to make us want more of those same videos and glowing video activities, blue screen activities. And it mesmerizes us and it, Puts us into a doom scrolling kind of habit if we're not careful. And it can be similar with the, the remote control. But we pursue after all of those things. But do we per- pursue, do we run after the truth? Do we run after, do we pursue the way of thy commandments to rebuke to me that I don't run after the word of God enough? That I don't pursue the word of God enough? And then he uses the word enlarge in verse 32. When thou shalt, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Notice he says, I will pursue. He's rhyming these ideas. When do I pursue after thy testimonies, thy word? When do I pursue after them diligently like I should? When my heart is engaged to do so. It has to start within, doesn't it? There has to be a heart attitude, a heart change, a heart desire. Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. What do we treasure? Do we treasure the word of God, and does our heart then dictate what we treasure, and then we'll run after, we reveal our heart by what we treasure? So when he says the word enlarge, in the original language it has to do with broadening, It has to do with making room for in Genesis 26 and verse 22. It's literally the idea of making room for in the same excuse me. And then in Exodus 34 and verse 24 and then in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 20. It has to do with enlarging the borders making room for but enlarging. So we take those two ideas and we put them together. And if we've ever moved, if we've ever packed for vacation, we know exactly what I'm talking about, what the word of God is saying. Because when you start packing a moving truck, a container, when you start packing your luggage for a vacation, especially if you're going to fly and you're on certain requirements, what do you do? You make room for You enlarge in order to make room for. Sometimes we have to pay the the money for an extra bag. As we saw the Shrocks, the missionaries, they had to check 25 bags to go to the Ivory Coast, plus their container. Sometimes we have to do that. But we know how it is to pack a container, a moving truck, luggage, and we're finding every little space. We're finding every little crack and crevice to fit our clothes or whatever we're taking. And we make room for it. We need to have every single item that we possibly can take that we need and we pack it. That's one idea here. But what crowds the word of God out of our lives? Think about what crowds the word of God out of our lives. All the different voices and allurements. And sometimes it's not necessarily a sinful thing. There can be good things that are necessary things that crowd out The word of God. We're so busy. We're working many hours. We're tired. We have this and that. And before long, we're too tired to read the word of God. We're too tired to come to church. We're too tired for the things of the Lord. I can't serve the Lord anymore. On and on it goes because we've allowed so many things to crowd out. Our suitcase is full. Our truck, our container of our life is full. There's no more room for the word of God, for the things of the Lord. Because our container of our life, the luggage of our life, is full with all the world stuff. With all the allurements of the world. And sometimes with just things that are needed, that are necessary. But we've gotten so busy, and we've gotten so tired, and we've got so many other things going on, that no longer is church, Bible study, teaching and preaching of God's word, the things of the Lord, the service of the Lord. No longer do we have room for those. And the psalmist says, I will run the way of thy commandments When thou shalt enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart. Lord, I need more room for you. Increase the borders of my heart. Because as I do so, there will be a greater passion to pursue, to run after. And I need to run after. So enlarge my heart. And we see it in the psalmist. Both sides of the coin. May we have this kind of heart for the Lord. Like the psalmist, we need the word of God to revive our heart, to instruct our life, and to direct our way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm. Lord, it's been such a joy to work our way through these verses. Lord, the psalmist, by the inspiration of God, is, is right where we're at in so many ways. And we thank you for giving us the truth of your word to help us right where we're at in our lives. Help us, Lord, to apply these truths and to live for you this week and beyond to your glory in Jesus.